the meme. Chase that dream, not the meme. Chase that dream, not the meme. Welcome to Dreams Not Memes Podcast. Hi everyone, this is another episode of Dreams Not Memes. I'm here with my friend Zainab, who is from Pakistan, who is currently living and working in Finland. Zainab is also an aerospace engineer, and today we're going to talk to her about her journey. How's it going? It's going pretty well. How's it going with you? Doing well. Can't complain. So can you tell me a little bit about how you became an aerospace engineer? Uh, yes. So my journey in engineering started from Pakistan uh, when I joined the university for my bachelor's degree. Uh, I graduated as a mechatronics engineer, uh, majored in robotics. Um, after that, uh, my first job was in a center of science and technology, which was focused on aerospace. Uh, basically in the area of guidance, navigation, and controls. And uh, from there, I actually got very uh, inspired to pursue this field. Uh, they say that your first job defines you, and for, for me, it has been very true. Uh, I became very passionate to study and investigate more in the field. Uh, I applied for different scholarships abroad, and I got one uh, called Erasmus Mundus Scholarship, uh, for space uh, science and technology, it was it is actually called Space Masters, uh, and I I pursued my master's degree and uh, in in that particular um, studies I majored in aerospace engineering, uh, and uh, and since then I've been involved in the field. After my master's degree, I went back uh, to Pakistan and uh, worked in a, a research university. Uh, in aerospace research and development, as well as as a lecturer teaching students. Um, and then after that, I came to Finland um, almost three years ago. I started working here uh, as an um, AOCS engineer, which is basically attitude and orbit control systems engineer. And currently I'm pursuing my PhD in aerospace uh, from Aalto University. Uh, as well as part-time working um, here in an aerospace company. And what has it been like from an experience perspective to shift from Pakistan to Finland? Oh, <laughs> it's uh, it, they're, they're two very different worlds. Um, I think uh, it's been, uh, it's the second time it was relatively easy because I already spent, uh, so the, my Erasmus Mundus program or my master's program was actually a consortium of six universities where you could choose where you want to spend each semester. And I spent one semester in Germany, one in Sweden and in Finland. And then I did my master, uh, master's thesis in Germany. Uh, so, so that time it was, uh, it was very, uh, I think it was, uh, very challenging, not just you are introduced, being introduced to a new mode of studies because they're very different the way they're conducted in Pakistan, uh, but also there's a, there's a huge uh, difference in culture in the way people behave. Uh, most of all, I think if Finnish society is uh, very uh, nice and open, but it's generally an introverted society. And and Pakistan is a very extroverted society. We are very loud in expressing ourselves. And uh, we talk with a lot of emotion um, in the conversation, uh, which is completely opposite in Finland uh, or mostly in Europe, but especially in Finland. So I think uh, these things have been a bit, uh, a bit um, uh, challenging. And most of all, the biggest difference that I feel that the uh, pace of life is a bit... Uh, 
how do you say laid back in Finland? People give each other space, give each other time. Uh, you would never see anybody running in on the escalators. People, you know, take everything easy. Uh, but in Pakistan, we are very impatient. Uh, so, so I think um, the pace of the society uh, is very different. Not in terms of uh, pro productivity or progressiveness. I think this here it's more uh, progressive and productive. Uh, but generally, the the way people behave, uh, it's a fast forward, chaotic way in Pakistan. Uh, but it's a very uh, uh, how do you say, slow, laid back, take your time give the next person their time kind of uh, way here. So that has been uh, interesting and a very learning experience for me. Certainly, certainly. And I, and I definitely understand that. Um, culture shift can always sometimes also dictate how we work. And have you noticed the way that you work in your research as well as your practical work change since being in Finland? Um, I think, uh, yes, definitely. Uh, but I think um, in Finland, um, I think in 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 Pakistan, uh, we're mostly uh, uh, driven uh, by our superiors. So we are very used to getting multiple instructions during the day, or very, we are very used to. Uh, one of the things is that if you have a manager and he gives you a task, he would I think repeat it twice a day. That what's the update on that task? But here in Finland, once you are given a task. Uh, people let you take, uh, let you define your own pace and time, and ask when you can deliver it. And once you tell them a day or time, then that's it. Then they let you be on your own. It's the same way they they are organizing the studies. Um, in in Pakistan, we have a very structured uh, degrees that they they give you a set of mandatory courses, optional courses, and everything, and you have to follow a set course. But here, they just let you choose your major. And how you navigate within that, nobody really uh, defines that for you. So they give you a lot of, um, how do you say, a personal uh, uh, authority uh, in the way you work or in the way you study. Um, so that has been very, uh, very different. But one thing uh, that is very nice is that Finnish societies, I think, have the least gender bias um, uh, uh, where I wherever I've been, the Finnish society has the least gender bias. And and here, I think people treat me like a human first, and then a woman or an engineer, uh, which is very different from back home because we are, um, uh, we, our gender biases or our gender identities are very strong. Uh, and that's how we treat the next person. So I think here I have experienced a lot of freedom uh, to do whatever I wanted to do and a lot of security and uh, a lot of opportunities to do that. Let's take a quick break and learn more about your experiences as an engineer, the projects you're working on, the research that you do. Okay. Quick message. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Dreams.Memes. Please make sure to follow Dreams.Memes Podcast on your preferred streaming channel or on Instagram at Dreams.Memes Podcast.
To support Dreams Not Names podcast, feel free to contact me at adaywithoutlove at gmail.com for advertising or sponsorship opportunities. Now, let's get back to the show. So can you tell me a little bit about what you research as an aerospace engineer? Yes. So like I said, that I'm an engineer with expertise in the area of robotics and aerospace. And within, within these two fields, I basically deal with autonomous vehicles. So vehicles which are not piloted or move on their own. These vehicles can be on ground or in air or in space or even underwater. So basically, from an autonomous vehicle to go from one point to another point, we we call uh, there's a there's a there's a, um, a field that is uh, that is called guidance, navigation, and control. So basically, navigation means that the vehicle knows where it is. Uh, guidance means that it knows where it wants to go to the next navigation or to the next waypoint. And the control basically would tell the vehicle how to reach that point. So to know where it is, to know where it wants to go, and how to go there. These three areas are basically called um, in aerospace or robotics as guidance, navigation, and controls. So my field of expertise is this. Uh, Currently, I'm more involved in satellites. uh, and, And in satellites, of course, if you have a satellite that is orbiting Earth, uh, or if it just wants to, let's just take an imaging satellite, so it wants to take a pictures of Earth. Uh, so uh, one, the, the key point would be to point the camera towards Earth and, and take a picture. So basically, when it comes to satellites, this GNC translates to attitude and orbit control system. So basically, orbit controls, it means that to control the position of the satellite and attitude basically refers to the orientation of the satellite. So your satellite is in space where you want it to be and pointing to the direction where you want it to point. So orbit and attitude control. So basically, I'm an AOCS engineer and I'm basically doing my PhD information flight of satellites. So this means that we have two or more satellites, and we want to control their orbit and their attitude cooperatively or collectively. So basically, I'm trying to uh, do research information flying of satellites, and that's what I do within the aerospace or robotics industry, uh, that I work with control algorithms and guidance and navigation of these autonomous systems. Are autonomous systems and driving vehicles, is that similar or at all to Tesla cars or not not at all? Uh, of course, uh, driverless cars, these are mostly, these autonomous vehicles are mostly not oriented to be driven on road because of course road have a certain uh, set of uh, rules. So you have, you have a different set of environment. Of course, uh, one can, uh, the fields are definitely interlinked. Uh, but in on the road, of course, these these cars they have uh, they have different set of rules that they have to stop at the traffic sign or they would have a passenger going by. But these uh, the autonomous vehicles that I'm mostly dealing in aerospace are are drones or are satellites. So of course uh, the algorithms uh, maybe or the instrumentation of the system may be very interrelated. 
But of course, the dynamics of the environment and the set of rules that governs the motion are completely different. Um, yeah, so that's why. So, for example, you have autonomous rail cars. There, there you don't really uh, would have no passenger whatsoever. So if you have an autonomous mining vehicle, the only thing you need to do is it doesn't bump into the vehicle in front of it and it just follows the track. But if you have an autonomous car, of course, you have to uh, have an imaging or laser sensing that senses the 3D environment around it and then, of course, identifies every object. Uh, and, of course, if you have something that is not controlled by any of this dynamics but is submerged in a fluid like in air or in space or in water, then the dynamics becomes very different. You have forces from everywhere and you have to control the orientation in a different way. So, yes, the field of autonomous vehicle has a very something very uh, the, the, there's a lot of hype, especially in the Silicon Valley these days regarding the driverless cars. Of course, it is it is one of the one of the fields, but not uh, the kind of vehicles I major in. So I'm basically I'm basically more currently more focused on um, uh, autonomous vehicles of air and space. Um, and so it's basically they're not pivoted or not on an on another surface. They're completely submerged in an in air or space and the aerodynamics or the space dynamics or the hydrodynamics of the vehicle actually governs its motion. And of course, there's certainly no um, human uh, interaction involved. Uh, uh, not, 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 of course, there's a human interaction. There can be a human in the loop to tell the vehicle, uh, to govern the vehicle's motion. But of course, it's not like that you would have a car in front of you or things like that. Gotcha. And for those that don't know, what would be some of the benefits of like, you know, taking people out of these uh, feedback loops or out of, um, you know, the, these satellites or these vehicles that you're creating? So, of course, for example, let's take the uh, let's take the advantage. Let's take the case of of a satellite that is uh, that is taking images of, Earth. for example, it's taking images of an area that is under the flood. Um, so, so because uh, human understanding of the dynamics of space is so good at the moment that we can completely interact with the physics and we can control our vehicle uh, to 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 um, to do stuff automatically um, uh, in in space. The thing is that if it would be uh, completely piloted. Uh, First of all, you would need a huge network of, of ground stations where you would insert humans in every ground station telling the vehicle what to do, uh, telling the satellite what to do next, um, which now can be just uh, um, an algorithm, time-based algorithm or an event-based algorithm, which tells, okay, take a picture of this location because with GPS and everything, the vehicle knows very nicely where it is. Um, one of the, and this, of course, brings a lot of it is a huge uh, cost uh, and and since the satellite is uh, rotating earth every 90 minutes uh, around the round the clock um, in a lower orbit for example uh, of course uh, you would need the operators to be there day and night so it's not that we do not have ground operators of course there are ground operators which are on shift they look at the satellite they check the satellite's health and telemetry but once it's just over the ground pass. You get the data, you analyze the data. It has the plots from last um, uh, uh, visit time and, and you see everything. 
So basically, the what um, for the for the listeners. So what the set the the satellite uh, has uh, has telemetry, which means it gives out the data, and it can be the mission data. Let's suppose an image of of Earth, or it can be the data about the satellite itself. So of course, as it passes over the ground station, the communication link is established, and it transfers all the data uh, to the ground, and the operators or the support engineers view those data. But just to follow it everywhere it passes over the over the globe, it would be a huge, huge, huge infrastructure cost. And um, our knowledge of uh, the dynamics of air or the dynamics of space is so good that we can actually uh, let the vehicles operate autonomously uh, for for quite long. And especially for deep space mission, it would just be impossible because the communication delays are so long. Uh, that by the time you get the the signal, or by the time you will command the satellite to do something, um, it would be quite quite a quite a delay. So of course these systems are designed uh, to operate uh, in such a way that they uh, they can uh, operate autonom uh, autonomously from one point to the other. And if human intervention only uh, is required if there is a huge problem or there is a change of uh, mission requirements. Understandable, definitely understandable. Um, so keep in mind when I when we started this half of the discussion, I asked this was your research, but this definitely appears to be applied research. Is your practical work focused on the same thing or not so much? Um, so I was I was basically uh, working in a startup in Finland, which is actually builds a, is building a constellation of synthetic aperture radar satellites. Uh, I, I I quit my job to follow um, uh, to do my PhD, but basically to learn or to work more in the area of attitude and orbit control. Uh, I'm still working with my, the company as a consultant, and what I do because I have I had some knowledge over their system, so I work with them as a support engineer for the satellites in operation, and especially the support regarding this subsystem called AOCS, or which actually controls the satellite's orientation and position. Uh, but yes, uh, my research is more applied than theoretical. And uh, the algorithms or the, 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 the high-fidelity simulation environment that I'm building, is, is uh, I'm designing it in such a way that it can be ported to an embedded platform and can get an in-orbit verification of the algorithms. So yes, my I... Uh, in my PhD, I'm doing uh, very applied research rather than um, rather than uh, focusing on theoretical side of it. Hear that? And where are you uh, in your research? Like, are you close to finding any new discoveries? <laughs> um, I'm I'm just one year into the PhD, so it's very it's very in it's in very early stages. Um, uh, it's of course there are very few formation flight missions in space. Uh, so uh, the research definitely is innovative, uh, but uh, far behind from any new discoveries at this moment in time. <laughs> I hear, I hear. Yeah. Uh, it's no question that engineering as a whole, uh, before we even get into the specifics of mechanical, robotics, electrical, et cetera, et cetera, is a very male-dominated field. And earlier in our discussion, you alluded to the fact that being in Finland, you feel like you're treated a lot more fairly. 
what has it been like across your entire career since you've been like in so many different places to experience, you know, being, you know, a woman in, in engineering and what has that been like for you? Uh, it's been, um, it's been fun as it's been really fun and really exciting, but yet it, it has its challenges. I can start from the fact that uh, in Pakistan, uh, I mean, things are changing uh, quite now, but when I was uh, choosing engineering, uh, I think even my parents always uh, had an idea that I would choose a medical field uh, because in Pakistan, I think it's very considered very respected and noble uh, for women to be doctors or teachers. And so, of course, every parent's first wish is that my do daughter is either a doctor or um, a teacher. And uh, as I was in high school, I was doing both maths, physics and biology. And my my uh, physics and mathematics came naturally to me, but I had to struggle in bio. And I always thought also that I would be a doctor. But then this uh, was the was some some defining moment in life that I instead of a medical school I actually chose to go for engineering, um, and of course uh, uh, I think uh, there aren't many engineers in my family. Uh, I think uh, I think there weren't any there weren't any women engineers in the family, uh, like in extended family like cousins, aunts, and uncles. Uh, so I was going to a field I had no idea. What I would do, I gave a national examination, and I, I and based on that, I was chosen for one of the uh, one of the fields, and I started off there. Uh, we were six uh, women, uh, six girls in a class of seventy, so it's the percentage has been only very less. Then, when I started working, of course, in a huge center, we were a couple of women, females. Uh, even when I came for my master's degree, we were just three girls in the class. Then I went back and joined the university. I was the only female for a very long time in the aerospace engineering department. Um, so I must say that it has been, uh, it has been uh, most of the time, uh, I haven't seen many women in the field. And of course, um, in Pakistan, especially with, with a lot of cultural difference and, uh, and a culturally um, uh, restrict, restricted society, of course, women are treated uh, slightly differently in 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 the field. Uh, so, uh, so I think uh, uh, there were times that I even thought that perhaps I should uh, I should give up uh, um, the, the the field. Uh, but I'm glad that I didn't. Um, I think one of the biggest thing that that annoyed me the most that. Uh, whenever there was there was a, some kind of a visit or there was some kind of representation um, uh, externally, they would always encourage us females to go, oh, no, 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 you should go and present it or you should be there. Uh, and it looked like, uh, to me, it looked like uh, rather than encouragement, it felt more like objectification <laughs> of, of being a female uh, because uh, they just wanted to present a softer image. Uh, but when it came to opportunities of some leadership positions or when it came to things like that, uh, then females were never the first choice. It's not I, 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 what I'm trying to say is that uh, 
they're more whenever they're they're trying to their women you know, definition of women empowerment is that if there is like a seminar going on or if there's something like that just bring as many women as you can in front to maybe portray a softer image uh but to me it's it's uh it's more uh, to me i i always felt very offended with this practice uh because to me it was that um I, so so you 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 know you try to um give so much um uh superficial importance to a person that you actually start discriminating against the person <laughs> so so you know uh that's that's what i felt and that actually uh was very um uh, was very uh, i for me it was not good and um also i think uh most of the time um when you're trying to uh go forward in the field or looking for research grants or looking for research application um there's always a question that how you're giving time to home or how you're how you how are things in your personal life with you investing so much in your career uh but when a male ma- when a man uh, male person comes in the office the these questions are never directed to him they're always uh towards uh, his career progression and things like that so these were the things that i felt very i think uh, at times i felt very frustrated uh, uh with uh, but i think they're they're not just part of the eastern society they're all over the world these issues are all over the world um so that that has been a bit um of an issue but when it comes to when i came to finland especially working here since it's a, such a the personal space is huge people give a huge personal space to everyone so i think these questions are just not common uh so i never felt that they would uh try to uh hold being a female against anything that you can or cannot do uh also i think um it's uh, the society is designed in such a way that uh female the maternity leave or any other any other thing females are given their due right and uh it's a very well balanced society so i think i enjoyed that a lot uh i think one thing that i i be- between pakistan and here is that uh i think uh, if i'm going somewhere very late or if i was uh driving somewhere very late uh, my my family or everybody always preferred that there's another person accompanying me um uh, to go somewhere or to come back from somewhere for the sense of security but in finland it's such a safe society the crime rate is so less that i i can go anywhere anytime i want uh without any fear and just this sense of freedom is so amazing uh that i miss even now when i go back home i miss it i hear that um especially like granted i'm i'm not a female but i really resonated with your experiences of tokenization and being singled out because you know when when people try to make up for the guilt of you know understanding that you're being marginalized to overwork or to try to overrepresent you while covering up the the behavior of being discriminatory or microaggressive is is always a frustrating thing yes yes uh, i i would i mean uh, they would be like okay we have an external visitors why don't you come join us for a cup of tea in the in the lounge downstairs and i was like okay but why let's suppose another male colleague why are you not asking him no 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 we want to you know portray uh, you know and it was then it was very discriminatory for me like uh 
but if it was if it would be a huge funding opportunity or something else i i know that they would not be like okay let's ask lineup for this first so so yes you're right so when these behaviors are covered in such a way that it's very superficial and just for the um for the presentation it i think it it's 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 very it's sad it is it is and i mean i know there's the society of women engineers i don't know if it is international uh in america that is done a lot of work to get more women involved in the education of engineering and the field of engineering and uh, just stay in engineering so there's more representation. Are there any societies like that that you've been a part of or that you're aware of that's been trying to break the barriers associated with, you know, these microaggressions that people like yourself experience? Uh, yes, I think they're uh, world over. I know that there's Society for Women Engineers, then there's Women in Aerospace Engineering. Um, there are other societies. I think I'm I'm very much uh, active in one of the um, uh, one of the organizations called Tech Women, uh, which is an IIE uh, program um, by U.S. State Department, and they are trying to. Um, um, it's like a or network of women uh, who are supporting each other and their mentorship programs and different things like that. Um, I think uh, there are some chapters of these societies are also in Pakistan, especially one of one of the recently very active is Pakistani women in computing. Um, there are also some other um, uh, women engineers uh, or women in tech and networks that are very uh, now very active, and I think they're definitely helpful. Um, this is, uh, they're not as much as there are in the rest of the world, uh, but, um, but there are some and there, I think they're very, they're, this, this is very, definitely very helpful. And within, within the, within the universities, the alumni of the universities or the colleges are trying to reach out to the newcomers and to reach out to schools and things like that. So it's, it's very, it's very good. So while your research is very applied, and not only is it applied, it's solving a lot of problems, it's making research for, you know, you know, air quality, I can, I can imagine a lot of research applications to, you know, the outcomes of your work. I can also imagine that by the time your work is done, a lot of money is saved. There's a lot that is being saved. Um, I like to ask, are there any other research fields within your field that you'd like to research that you haven't been able to uh, work on yet? Um, yes. Uh, so <clears throat> one of the areas that I've been very passionate about is autonomous vehicles. Uh, but the second area that I have not been able to continue further after, after my uh, uh, studies uh, in the university is rehabilitation robotics or prosthetic robotics um, to have uh, these these aids uh, to help people with disabilities or uh, to help people aging people aging generation uh, to um, execute their daily tasks so i think this is one of the fields i'm very passionate about but unfortunately as the opportunities presented themselves uh, my field became more and more oriented towards pure aerospace uh, but if I if given a chance, I would definitely go for the second best thing that I would go for is this. Gotcha. Yeah. That's very interesting. Mm -hmm. And I mean, whenever I think about prosthetics in like 2020 and beyond, I think of Star Wars and <laughs> Star Trek 
And before you know it, that's going to be a real reality. Um, in the world of engineering, what do you think needs to be changed and what do you think is the future of engineering as a whole? Uh, of course, the future is bright. We are in very exciting times. We are in times where whatever, like, whatever we want to do, we can. Imagine, I mean, exactly 30, 40 years ago, just to study a topic, uh, you needed to go to a library, look through the piles of books and find just one topic, which right now we can just type in Google and we get everything related to that topic. So I think this, uh, this uh, knowledge access is so amazing that we are in very exciting times. Um, what I would, um, so the future is of engineering is very bright. Dream and execute, think, design and build. So it's, it's great. Uh, what I would like to change um, in engineering, I think I, as I, I, I see that over the time how our generation uh, or, the, or the new generation is, uh, is changing with respect to technology, access of knowledge is different. Um, they're more, everybody has a tablet or a device to do things, to connect with each other. I think um, uh, the universities, um, especially I think to in the Eastern side of the world, uh, need to catch up to this change of technology and make education uh, or make the courses, uh, the courses design completely change towards more applied uh, skills and 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 the way these engineering degrees are structured, I think that needs to be changed now because of the way things have changed so much around us. Um, so I, I do think if I would change something, um, especially I think back home or especially um, here is that um, I would definitely uh, make the degrees a bit more applied. Um, I mean, we have now, you see, we have different kind of schooling systems. It's IB. Um, IGSEs and different, there are different kinds of um, uh, high school degrees and, and the way they are structured. So I think the same needs to be implemented towards uh, bachelor's and master's degrees. Um, and I think, um, and also I think uh, the way uh, academics um, is, um, I think um, in, in around the world, it's structured in such a way uh, that a tenure track professor or a professor uh, in the university uh, needs to publish or needs to have certain uh, has certain publication requirements to go further, and I think um, as far as I agree that of course you have to publish, but I think publishing just for the sake of publishing, or uh, publishing just to stay relevant or to get a promotion, um, is something that I would like to change. So, for example. I, I know that there are three things um, as a as a in the in the universities to be an academician or to be an educator. There are three things one needs to focus on. One is the administration. You always have some administrative tasks. Research. You always have some research tasks, and of course, teaching. You have to teach um, uh, the students. Um, so I think within these three, I have seen most of the faculty members being so much burnt out that either somebody is lagging on administrative tasks or on teaching just to do the relevant research to publish in order to get the, I don't know, next big grant or something. And then some of them in order to teach very good, nicely, 
are lacking on research or something like that. And these three requirements are so competitive or so hard on, um, on the faculty members that I think in the end, uh, they're unable to do what they're supposed to do and which is to inspire next generation of engineers. And I would really like to change this bureaucracy that has overtaken research and innovation uh, to uh, and quantified it in a strange way of impact factors, uh, citation numbers. I do understand that this is one of the this is one of the one of the reasons or one of the things that how you judge or how you evaluate one's one's research. But then there's a lot of a lot of things going around that, and and I think this is one of the reasons that I decided to pursue industry more uh, than than academia because I've worked in both both areas. I've worked as in the university, and I've also worked in the industry, and it is because I I, I value innovation, learning, and knowledge more uh, than this strange bureau bureaucratic system that has taken over the academia all over the world. And I wish I could change that. Uh, I, I, I'm, I'm, I, I. So yeah. So if this is something. These two things, I think, are things that that the way these engineering degrees are designed in a very emerging and innovative world uh, needs to change with the pace of the world. And then this bureaucracy surrounding academia and the tenure track positions in the university. I think the, I'm very conflicted with these two aspects of engineering. The the academic practitioner gap is a very real thing across industries, across fields. And I like the way that you, you know, brought up the, I guess you could say the uh, cognitively dissonant struggle of, you know, of an academic, because it's like, there's these three things and sometimes they clash with each other and, you know, I, I may have said that it's not quality or quantity, it's the process and improvement uh, in this podcast. But I think when it comes to research, quality is much more important than quantity. However, administrations often say, no, it's quantity because of grant, you know, grant funding. Yes, and, 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 in, and one, you know, one cannot quantify research or the exactly. way we are quantifying it is needs to be changed. That's exactly. what I think. Exactly. And 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 there's also something that, of course, the way engineering um, uh, research is, and the way research is in natural sciences and other disciplines is very different. Uh, but the criteria <laughs> is almost the same. So that's also something uh, which kind of put me off uh, from from the acad academia. Um, uh, but but of course, I I want to give back and I want to reach out to young people, especially from Pakistan, women from Pakistan. So of course I would, my aim is to stay in industry, but to uh, be a visiting faculty in one of the universities. And that's the, uh, that's the idea. But, but yes, uh, the way we are quantifying research uh, is, is just wrong <laughs> or I, at I, least needs to be improved. I, I completely agree. I, I mean, I know when I was in grad school, there are definitely some papers where I read it and I said, why do we have to read this? It has nothing to do. And it was pretty clear that like the paper was written because the administration told them to write it as opposed to this is adding to society. This will make you a more applied, you know, IO psychologist, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But um, I, I completely resonate with that. But as I digress, 
I definitely can say this has definitely been a good episode of Dreams Not Memes. It's been a pleasure to learn about your applied research and your experience uh, in the world of engineering. Is there anyone that you would like to give a shout out or any moments of clarity that you'd like to share about your career? There have been many moments of clarity, uh, I think. Um, as I look back now, I think uh, we sometimes seek permissions or um, permission to execute our dreams or to be who we are from external factors. That can be society, that can be culture, that can be people. Uh, and in that process, uh, sometimes uh, you, you do injustice to yourself. I think everyone is unique. Everyone has a gift. And that gift is given to you for, for some reason. And if you do not execute it, if you do not be you and bring that gift out to the universe, you actually do the biggest disservice to the universe that you can. So, so every person is unique. Every person with some qualities, with some drawbacks is brought to the place to give something. And if you're not giving that to the universe back, or if, if you're not giving that to the universe by being you, I think that's the biggest disservice that you're doing to yourself and to the universe. And I think it took me a while to realize that. I, I always thought uh, that I have to fit uh, this mold uh, that was uh, designed by the society, by the family expectations and uh, by everybody else. And while I was trying more to do that, I was becoming more somebody that I did not know uh, who I was. Uh, but I think this year of social distancing <laughs> gave me plenty of time to connect with myself. And I think um, one of the biggest things that you can do is to know yourself and and then bring out the best in you for the for the world and then everybody is happy and you're happy so i think um it took me a while to realize that that most of the time the limitations we put on ourselves are just in our mind and uh not really outside but we think that it is from the exter external so yeah so i think these this this I kept coming back and again and again on this uh, in my life. I think when the time I was going abroad for my studies, I, I, I think um, these challenges were pretty, pretty hard. Uh, but, uh, uh, but amongst all those challenges, amongst everything, trying to find who you are and then trying to know your, um, to know your strength and your weaknesses and to then uh, bring out uh, the best of you, uh, I think, yeah. Well, thank you. And mm -hmm. it's definitely been a pleasure talking to you on Dreams Not Memes. Thank you very much for having me. And um, thank you so much for listening to my story and taking it forward to your listeners. Anytime, anytime.
Hi, this is Brian from A Day Without Love. Thank you for listening to Dreams Not Memes. I just want you to remember, your dreams matter. If you'd like to support this podcast, email at daywithoutlove at gmail.com for donation information, or follow me for weekly episodes. Thank you for listening and joining my journey. Have a good day.